1: Hello! Welcome to the World Game Podcast! EGLELAND! 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 You happy? <laughs> I'm very happy!
2: <laughs> Uh, welcome to uh, The World Game podcast, all the way from uh, the media center here at uh, uh, the Spartak Stadium. Uh, it's episode uh, 19. Uh, uh, before we start, let me remind you that you can uh, download, stream or subscribe to our podcast through our website sbs.com.au slash Game. Seb Hassett, you're with me. Uh, thank you, uh, first of all, because you gave me the tickets to, uh, to go and see that match. What have we just witnessed?
1: Well, we've witnessed some history, haven't we? Um, England have, have never won a penalty shootout at, at a major tournament, and um, to see that kind of history for them is quite extraordinary because it's been such a weight on their shoulders for so long. This is a nation that has almost defined itself in penalty shootouts and losing them as well, and that's going back you know, really to, uh, to Italia 90. And... Isn't it ironic that the man who leads them there is Gareth Southgate, who missed the penalty um, in Euro 96. It's, there's, there's just so much going on at this World Cup that it's all quite hard to process and take in. But the amazing thing is that he made the substitution of the player, Eric Dyer, who came on and scored the winning penalty. Um, I'm sure every England fan around the country, around the world, and there are many of them, of course, uh, would have been thinking, oh, no, not again. This is not how we go out, particularly after what happened in regular time, um, when they conceded in the last minute of injury time, in, of injury time, which is just incredible when you think about it. And they look to have had the game sewn up; they really did. And when they conceded um, to Yeri Mita, it In injury time, you would have thought it's turning against them. In extra time, I thought Colombia were better as well. So it it, it really did seem as though England might have been on their last legs, but they regrouped. This is a new England team, Christoph. We spoke about this last night. We spoke about it last week as well, that there is a new feeling about this England team. They're out to carve their own history, to, to create their own destiny, to write their own chapters. It is not a team that carries the ghosts of the past. A lot of these players weren't even alive. Um, or, or, or at least old enough to remember all those sort of penalty shootout heartbreaks, particularly in the 1990s. So they're coming with a fresh attitude and they're coming with a, a new belief that they can do something for themselves. And now as they go to the quarterfinals, that's exactly how they'll be feeling.
2: And quarterfinals as well is, is, is almost a, a new territory for, for England because it's been such a long time since they haven't been to a to a quarterfinal for, uh, at, a, at, at that level. Mm.
1: Yeah, certainly at a World Cup, you have to go back to 2002 um, when they were undone infamously, I suppose, by that Ronaldinho free kick that floated over the top of David Seaman. Um, and that was a wonderful England team with so many big stars, the icons that, that shaped the Premier League, really. You contrast that to this team, and it's very much the opposite. This is a team that's sort of grounded in um, not so many massive stars. I mean, obviously, they're getting paid huge money in the Premier League these days, but not so many iconic players, just a couple. Um, but with a sprinkling of hard workers, oh, I've got a really good look tonight at Kieran Trippier, for example, who is a player who you know wouldn't have gotten near previous England squads, but here he is starting. Uh, running his guts out for for the entire game, having a massive impact on on, on the end result through sheer hard work and just selfless acts, putting the team first constantly. And if that's what this England team is about, which I think they are, then they're really well placed to go a long way in this tournament. They've got a manager who, although Gareth Southgate doesn't have a, a wonderful club record, He seems to really embrace what England is about. They're good things. He understands the legacy. He understands the weight of history. But he also understands how to manage a young group of men who want to do something for England, for the team. And is managing the weight of the nation, the expectation, which has been so great for so long. He's managing that really, really well. Um, They weren't perfect tonight. Um, There were moments when Colombia controlled the game, of course, but Colombia are a super team. So the challenge for England was to really get out there and prove themselves. And I I think particularly for for probably most of the first half, I think they did that. And when they got the goal through Kane, I I thought they actually deserved that. Would you
2: say um, Colombia really tried to get under the skin because they... They played quite dirty, Colombia, to be perfectly honest, seeing it from the stadium. Uh, was that, do you think, a target from Colombia to get them uh, to get under their skin and get them annoyed? But England reacted very well. They stayed very, very fair play on all this.
1: Well, this is something, you know, we were in the stadium, Christoph, and, and here at the Spartak Stadium, it's such an intimate stadium. We were so close to the action. Um, I. We're getting a lot of feedback uh, on social media about this podcast, which is fantastic. By the way, I'd love to hear what the fans have got to say about this because it seemed from from in the stadium, up close and personal, that the Colombians, after they conceded the goal, could feel their World Cup dreams slipping away, and the emotions were really getting the better of them. This is certainly, this is just my impression from, and I, I was literally almost on the field. I was it was that close. I was in the in the in the very front row. Uh, and those emotions seem to be getting the better of them. And I thought England were actually holding their nerve really, really well. Um, yes, Colombia, of course, were going to probably have the better of the game after England scored because they had to get in back into the match. That's only natural. That's what happens in these sorts of affairs. And England did try to uh, sort of, I guess, bunker down when they brought on Eric Dyer to try and sort of smooth things over and see out those those final minutes. But credit to Colombia, I suppose, equally, for finding a way to get that goal back. Um, they weren't as... They weren't as fluid as they have been in some of their previous matches. It's been it's been an interesting World Cup for Colombia. Generally speaking, uh, we said last night that there were, were there were moments where we've seen them at their best, and then we've all probably seen them at their worst as well, and probably a whole lot of grey in between. Tonight was a, such an emotionally charged affair, um, and there were so many Colombian fans in the stadium as well. I think that really filtered down onto the pitch, and the players were trying to stay focused and disciplined and do their job, but. Just There was just so much riding on this for Colombia. Both teams, of course, riding. So much was riding on it. But for them, I guess, they would have equally sensed, just as we've spoken about England, if you got through this game, the draw really opens up and there's an opportunity to make it to a semi-final, if not a World Cup final. This had that kind of feeling about it. It was unusually... Um I guess it was—it un- was so much riding on it for a round of 16 game, probably more than some of the other games, I would say, um, because just because of what potentially lies ahead and that emotion. Um, I think I think the Colombian players struggled to contain it just in the, in those probably 20 minutes from probably say the the hour mark to the 80 minute mark.
2: I was sitting amongst the Colombian fans, by the way, and I think I've learned new, uh, some new colourful words in Spanish.
1: I don't know that you'll be able to repeat them on, on a multi uh, multicultural radio show like this, because uh, I'm not sure that they were too family-friendly. But what passion they bring, and they never stopped believing. Si yes we can. It was ringing out around the stadium, and I've got a lot of friends in Colombia, and they were texting me throughout the game. Um, And you could just uh, one thing that I did hear. One one friend texted me to say that flights out of Bogota had been all been delayed, so that everyone could watch extra time and penalties. You know, that's this is a country that lives and breathes the sport in a way that really only Latin Americans can. Um, And we know that country has been through so many tough times. You know, through the through the 80s and 90s in particular, and that's a very sensitive subject for them. This football team over the past four years has reshaped how the world has viewed Colombia. Um, I've been there. Um, I went there after the last World Cup. I saw a country that that wants to make make a name for itself for a whole different reason in the 21st century. And their football team is sort of the flagship of that. That's something that they can take to the world and go, hey, we're we're a country that's on the rise, we're not what you think of us and our football is really damn good we are as competitive as Argentina as Brazil and we want to be up there with the best teams in the world and look for a team that was lacking perhaps their best player, James Rodriguez tonight who was incidentally sitting about 10 seats down from me uh, on the front row who was riding every tackle as though he was playing, I mean I I feel for them so much. This 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 game, this tournament means so much for them, and so I'm really hurting for them. And I, I you know, there were so many, so many people in tears around me um, after the penalty shootout. But look, that's the beauty of the World Cup, isn't it? It's the high, it's the low, it's what it's all about.
2: What's amazing, and I, I'll just end my personal story on this. But the silence. After the England scored that penalty, there were like a deafening chance for 120 minutes. Then, throughout the the escalated through the penalty shootout, then silence. For me, that was incredible, an incredible sensation.
1: You don't often associate uh, matches with England with with silence. And when they scored to win the shootout, it was though I think what the stadium holds roughly I think 44,000. Um, I don't think it's, look, I might be wrong, but I, I certainly don't think there was any more than three or 4,000 England fans in, uh, I agree. in the entire stadium. They were at the other end from where the penalty shootout was taken. So I know I was closer to towards, to, to where the, the penalty shootout was taking place and it was deathly silence. So I took a video and I posted it on, on Twitter already so people can go and have a look. Um, it was more of a, the sound of like shock, and people sort of wailing a little bit. You could hear this kind of like, oh, this audible gasp. when um, Certainly when the when Pickford saved the second to last penalty. Um, and then when Eric Dice scored the winning one, it was the same sort of reaction of just pure shock. People couldn't believe that Columbia were out. I think that, um, look, a lot of England fans have stayed away. I think that the press for about two years leading up to this tournament has been so negative about Russia, has been so much about uh, the hooliganism element, has been so much about... Uh, If you're an England fan, you're going to get beaten up on the streets. You're going to have trouble wherever you go. I mean, that just patently hasn't been the case at all. Every fan who's come to Russia, I mean, the the majority, 99.9%, have had a wonderful time here. Uh, The locals have been incredibly hospitable. So I'm so disappointed that we don't have more England fans here because they do add their own unique atmosphere. Yes, it's not for everyone. I appreciate that. Some England fans haven't been great historically. And, yeah, trouble has followed them a lot over the years. However, this has been such a, a wonderfully, I don't know, there's sort of a brotherly love element to this World Cup. Everyone's here for a good time and I think that's really shone through with all the other teams and I wish there were more England fans taking part in that sort of atmosphere and that was, uh, you know, when when they actually qualified for the next round. Such a massive moment in England's football history that there were so few England fans here to witness. It was, was a
2: little bit sad, Christoph. Completely agree. Uh, we hear the buzz at the back of us uh, on this newsroom. It's actually quite invigorating to, to hear that buzz. Uh, believe it or not, there was another match <laughs> as well as well today. Uh, Sweden against uh, Switzerland. Sweden got through. I mean, Sweden, you mentioned England is writing its own history. Well, Sweden is writing its history
1: as well. They are indeed. And they are the sleeping team of this World Cup. Um, there was... Can we say that Sweden is just about, or is,
2: I don't know, there's a certain feeling of them making a Denmark 92, yeah. sort of impact.
1: Well, I mean, it could be quite similar. Nobody expected this Swedish team to do uh, all that much at this World Cup, obviously in a, in a challenging group. And any group with Germany in it, you're thinking probably going to be too difficult anyway. And um, for them now, they're in the last, that, that, I mean, they'll be looking... They'll be looking at England as gettable as well. Let's let's flip it and talk about about Sweden for a second. They've played well at this tournament. They've won three of their four matches. They are a really well organised, well drilled team. They don't have a lot of stars. Um, one of their best players scored the critical goal today, Emil Forsberg. Okay. Had a little bit of luck about it, no doubt about it, with the, with the big deflection. Um, but you need luck at that level, to be honest. Yeah, you do, you do. And it's funny, uh, why does luck always seem to happen in the penalty box when you're attacking, Christoph? I've always wondered that. It always Luck always seems to favour the team who is pushing for a goal, and it, that's what happened there. So Sweden, look, they're not the most glamorous team. Their players aren't the most well-known. Not all of them play in the best leagues in the world. But they've got a tremendous sense of unity. Yeah, sure, they've had a little bit of luck, but they also had, you know what, they had an incredible slice of bad luck when they conceded to Tony Cruz in the group stage in the with, with the most extraordinary free kick of this entire World Cup. You know, they could have gone through unbeaten to this point, which would have really had people talking if they had have drawn um, with Germany. And so I, I think what they've done is tremendous. And then to survive a pretty plucky... Swiss team with a with a lot of talent, with some you know obviously, and everyone knows about Granit Xhaka and Zerdan Shakiri and we mentioned Embolo last night who came on and made an impact. Now yeah, they've got plenty of talent this Swiss team. So for Switzerland, for for Sweden to negotiate that to to stay calm when they took the lead in a in a way that they were able to sort of hold out in a way that England weren't tonight um, in that regular time, um, you know it was really yeah, pretty impressive, pretty impressive from them. And in a way,
2: they're riding this post-Zlatan era pretty well by regrouping, which they were not really before. They had this super mega star, incredible ego of Zlatan. But now today, like it's almost general public can't name one of their players.
1: They are a unit. Should we have a very awkward conversation about whether Sweden are better off without him? Is, is I mean, is that the conversation that we need to have? Of course, you wouldn't think that, would you? Um, because he is one it still is one of the world's great players um but you just or self-proclaimed no i'm kidding yeah, well self-proclaimed and proclaimed by the rest of us because he's just been that wonderful however when you have a pl- one single player who is so much better than the rest with such a large ego who commands the ball who commands attention who commands everyone delivers something for him now you've either got a team that sort of accepts that and subjugates themselves to that like with Cristiano Ronaldo and Portugal and it worked at the Euros once but it hasn't always necessarily worked for them the World Cups and maybe they're a fraction too much centric towards him in this World Cup uh, you can debate that again as well so we, with Sweden though I think are other players have gone well we all have to we all have to do that little bit more now we've lost our superstar we've lost the guy who could you know, pull off that magical overhead kick against England we've, we've lost uh, one of the world's great players but we're no mugs ourselves we are decent players and we've got a good system that is strong defensively and we talked about it when we had a little little bit more time last night, Christopher, to sort of really delve into the tactical issues and some of the defensive trends at this World Cup that are really emerging they've just got a nice balance they are really smart in their defending and how deep they keep their line, but they've also got something as well on the counter-attack, and of course, Felsberg, Fos- who scored the goal, we mentioned him before, is the ultimate counter-attack player because of the speed that he has. But he's supported by plenty of others too, who um, are pretty good at holding the ball, they're good at disrupting, and although I think everyone here at the Spartak Stadium, and, and, and certainly all the English journalists are around us you can sort of hear the hullabaloo and the buzz, they're already dreaming of a final, And you know, and why not? But this will be certainly no walkover. We know Sweden have caused England a lot of problems in the past, including at World Cups. Um, they've sort of tripped them up a couple of times. They're just not an easy team to play against. And physically, I think they match up quite well against England. So that will not make it e- easy, even if England will obviously be the favourites for that game. Thanks, Seb. Uh,
2: we'll take a short break and then we'll come back. We'll have a look at uh, what's coming up in the next few days on SBS. Don't go anywhere.
3: Don't miss a moment of the 2018 FIFA World Cup with SBS Radio. What hear the passion with every match in multiple languages con el a sus pies. all live and free on sbs radio and the 2018 fifa world cup app download now
2: welcome back to the uh, world game podcast i'm uh, still here with uh, with seb hasett seb uh, let's have a look at uh, the quarterfinals because there's some uh, some interesting lineups uh, coming up for us uh, let's start with brazil against belgium i think that's the match everyone is is waiting for because uh, this could potentially be already a final Whoever wins this could go really far.
1: They certainly could. And there's no doubt that Brazil, in my opinion, are the team to at this World Cup. Said it before, I'll stand by it. I still think it to be true. They are the standout team. Perhaps they've never truly been pushed um, in this World Cup. Even Costa Rica, a game they only won late. I didn't necessarily feel they were were really under any great pressure at any stage. And I thought that that honestly, if we... But really, honest, they were pretty comfortable all the way through against Mexico. So Belgium will give them a, a, a sterner test, and that is really exciting. This Belgian side, we have talked about them for so long. We've been waiting for them to explode and do something um, on the world stage with the quality they have—a golden generation that is unlikely to ever come from a nation that, of that size. Um, this is their test. Yeah, is is this their moment? Yeah, well, it has to be, doesn't it? Um, they don't have a choice. They have to step up now and they have to be counted because how do, how do we look back at, about their game against Japan? Boy, they cut it too fine for my liking. An amazing recovery and an extraordinary game. and um, We were quite heartbroken for Japan afterwards. But if we analyse Belgium with a clear set of eyes 24 hours on, gee, they cut that too fine. They really did. Um, for a team that is as good as they are, they need to be playing better than that for 90 minutes to even get close to Brazil. So even though they've got the individual quality and, and everyone knows they're star players who all play across the biggest leagues in the world and are dominant players there as well, they have to step up and show themselves. It will not be easy because this Brazil team is so well organised. They know what to do. They're so well drilled. Um, they've got the right players in all the positions. But man for man, this, this Belgian team, if they want to be remembered as a team that didn't squander the talent they had, they have to push, push Brazil all the way.
2: And we should see some goals in that in that match, uh, Brazil-Belgium. That's not a nil-nil in it. Uh, France-Uruguay, opposite style, very interesting contest, I think. Not so, only because I'm French.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it will be because um, here we will see the French team uh, tested defensively, probably for the first time at this tournament in a way that you want to see them tested before they get to a final. So. Um, we all wanted to see how they'd go through Argentina. I think, I think all of us thought they were a better team than Argentina. It proved to be. And their attacking work in that game was sensational. They... Oh. You know, we, we had the coronation of King Killian, didn't we? Um, it was almost like the Passover night that when uh, when both Messi and Ronaldo exited the World Cup and, and Mbappe arrived as, if not the best player in the world, then certainly a player who's on the path to being the best player in the world. Probably by the next World Cup, you'd say he, he'll be pretty hard to beat for that. Um, and their front third is so dynamic and mobile, but they come up against now... One of the toughest, meanest, nastiest defences that world football has ever seen. And if you can get through that, then you are genuinely a chance to win this World Cup. Um, It will be a difficult challenge, but the good thing for France is I do feel that the, the challenges are coming at the right time. Argentina lifted and forced them to play at a higher level and they responded. Now they've got to answer a a different challenge and and a different dynamic and they're going to have to play a slightly different way. It can't be so helter-skelter. They'll have to really pick their moments when they can attack Uruguay. Hopefully they can get an early goal if you're a French supporter. Um, If they get that early goal, then they'll hopefully invite Uruguay off that last line. Because as, as we've seen numerous times at this World Cup, if you can set your defensive line deep and if you can hold it psychologically for 90 minutes, 120 minutes, then you can frustrate the supposedly better team. And Uruguay will be looking at this going, hey, we've got two of the best forwards in the game. If we can cut off all the passing channels for France, we can frustrate them, and French mentality Christophe can occasionally, uh, a little bit questionable under pressure perhaps, they've been good at this World Cup so far, but if Uruguay can really isolate them in in that regard, um, then they will give themselves a small chance, but that is such a great matchup, isn't it?
2: That's only if Cavani plays, because we don't know his state of health.
1: Exactly, and that's a huge question mark. Look how much it probably cost, if we're honest, Colombia tonight. You put James into that team, does that change the result? I'm not saying it necessarily would have, but it sure gives Colombia a better chance. And Cavani's at that level, isn't he? So that's a big cha- that's a big challenge for them to overcome.
2: Croatia against Russia. Opposite styles as well, again, uh, Croatia a team that kind of got away with it last time and Russia uh, on fire, but can they go one step further? Well, this is sort of
1: a similar tactical challenge to France-Uruguay, isn't it? Probably even more so in a a way. Uruguay are, are, are such a defensive team, but they've got more attacking options. Than Russia. Russia have it's seemingly sort of one and a half attacking options that they break out only in case of emergency, and I think they will uh, they will build the mightiest wall of Sochi. They uh, they know what Croatia are going to do. Croatia have such wonderful ball players. Obviously, Luka Modric and Rakitic are going to be central to that again. They will control the game. Uh, Perisic in there as well. They're going to control the ball, and they're going to pick and poke and prod their way. And try to find a way, but it's going to be so hard because Denmark showed um, in the round of 16 that if you do defend well enough and smartly enough, it is difficult for Croatia and Russia are so emboldened by what they did against Spain and so vindicated, and the world of football hasn't come do- come down on them and gone, oh, you're so bad for defending for 120 minutes at, at 120 minutes, and you've uh, you know not followed the spirit of football. No, everyone's gone, how good was that? How good was it to see the host nation go above themselves and if they had to defend like that then, so be it. And look, it's quite extraordinary to think. Um, I don't know how many times the the size of Croatia would fit into Russia, but it would probably be about a hundred times, wouldn't it? Even population-wise, I think it's four million against a nation that's probably you know, 50 times that size. And yet, we're talking about Russia being this grand underdog. But hey, that's football. That's football, and and that's the dynamic that's going to take place. It's going to be really fascinating to see whether Russia do try to take the game on a little bit more. I don't think they will. Um, I think that they will just look for those counter-attacking moments and look for any weakness in this Croatian team. They'll be analysing that Croatia-Denmark game very closely because that was Croatia's poorest game game so far. And there were moments where Denmark would be kicking themselves that they did not clinch victory. Absolutely kicking themselves. And so that may give this host nation reason to think this party might actually go on to a semi-final. And Christoph. I want, to, I want to be around for that. I hope no one sends me home because this is just wonderful to watch.
2: You know what? I won't be here. Uh, such oh. a shame because I'm off to the Tour de France. Uh, but that would be, uh, that would be a, a, an amazing night to be around. Seb, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast and I'm, uh, the, the buzz hasn't stopped here so uh, we should uh, maybe check it out and uh, see what's going on. Thank you, Seb, for being part of this podcast once again.
1: It's been an absolute privilege. Thank you so much for putting it together, Christophe. I'm sorry to the listeners for my voice. I wasn't screaming for anyone out there. I Just naturally, I think the atmosphere tonight took it away. It was absolutely wonderful and thanks to all the listeners who've given us so much feedback as well. It's been absolutely wonderful.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, Seb. Thank you.
1: Uh, right now, we are
0: just uh, on the line with Steve Pearce and Clint Bolton. Hi, guys. How are you doing?
3: We're extremely well, Christoph. But the more important question is how are you and how have you been traveling in Russia?
0: I'm good, I'm good. I mean, honestly, Russia has been awesome. The World Cup has been absolutely fantastic. And then it's about time for me to, to go, so that's why we, we're talking today, because we just want to let the listeners know that you guys are going to take over the podcast, and just sort of handing over the vibe down to you.
3: So from France to Russia, back to France, what's next on the agenda, Christophe?
0: Uh, the Tour de France is next on oh. the agenda, which is uh, well, it's going to be on SBS. People who want to listen to it will be able to uh, tune in on Cycling Central, of course, but this podcast doesn't finish here, because you guys are going to take over. So it's going to be a Less noisy experience for our listeners, but uh, so I'm sure I'm sure your great great insight will
3: counterbalance that. I'm not sure. I don't know if we can promise less noisy. It depends who does particularly well during the tournament, but um, I think that we'll be. I hope Christoph that we can deliver the podcast and all the information like to and follow with the same pizzazz that you have done. <laughs> Over the last few weeks. You know, you've been, week.
0: you guys have been hand for it, so I'm sure
3: you will. <laughs> we can only do our best. Clint, are you ready for the Hello. challenge? Oh, I'm up for it. I've done the, the pod with Christoph before, right. uh, to some degree, with the, the local football here in Australia. It's not... Red Square, it's not the uh, noise and colour and jubilation of Russia, but it is Fed Square, so we'll deal with it back here. Just, Christophe, think of that moment where it's us celebrating France's World Cup victory and you're not there to celebrate it.
0: What tells you I won't be there? I'm
3: kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All we need is a France England final. That's the last thing we need. We, we might exactly. have exactly. We'll, we'll get you on the line if that's the case. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Thanks, guys. It was uh, great to have you on the line. Thank you for taking over the, the podcast track right after me. And I'm sure you'll do an awesome job. And I'm sure the audience will love it. Thank you, guys.
3: Pleasure, Christophe. Looking forward to it. Safe travels.